Welcome to today's edition of the Paulist Comics Analysis Podcast Project. Every day, I pick a comic and I analyze it for about 30 minutes from the varied worlds of superhero comics, graphic novels, indie and small press, global comics, and the canon of classics. I'm Tuply at T-W-O-P-L-A-I on Twitter, Tumblr, and Gmail. And The Paulist is on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. I'm an academic, a critic, and a teacher, and my goal is to immerse myself and you in the study of this vibrant medium's vital voices, whether through social and cultural analysis, or literary and visual interpretation, or other forms of nerdiness. So, lightweight spoiler warning, and let's dig deep. Today is Sunday, July 17th, 2016. Um, our work today is, um, is The Sunday Scholar, and we're going to be talking about contemporary comics storytelling by Karen Kukonen uh, from University of Nebraska Press. On Sundays, we cover a Sunday Scholar, which means that we talk about a work from the wide-ranging interdisciplinary field of comic studies. And contemporary comic storytelling is an example of how the insights from a certain discipline or a certain field um, can be brought to bear on the analysis of comics. And so I'm excited to talk about it. Um, but before I do, I just want to mention that um, what's likely to happen is that I'm going to take a few days hiatus from this daily podcast. Uh, it's just going to be a few days, and it's really not meant to be long-term. Um, so if you have been following, um, that's great. Please um, stick around. You can go back and listen to some of the back episodes if you haven't heard them. Um, because uh, I'm going to take a few days because I just need to reorient myself a little bit in terms of my academic work, uh, my dissertation. Um, you know, doing this podcast is a huge sort of... Um, I don't know what it, what you call it. It's it's a great distraction <laughs> um, from the stuff that I need to do in life. It's also just a huge relief. Um, I, I'm just really grateful for a few uh, responses that I've gotten from people in terms of retweets and, and a mention here and a mention there. I'm still waiting for that um, review on iTunes or that um, email or note uh, from somebody on Twitter who's just letting me know, uh, you know, even what I'm doing wrong, but um, maybe more importantly that somebody out there is listening. And so if you are listening, um, I'd love to get some feedback. Um, you can email me, uh, as I said at the opening, at T-W-O-P-L-A-I, that's Tuply, at Gmail, or reach me by that handle at Twitter, or find me there at Tumblr, um, and comment and rate and review, and um, let me know what you like, let me know what hasn't been as um, as meaningful to you. Um, I, I'm not necessarily going to change my stripes because of it, but I am going to uh, enjoy the fact of being in conversation, which is really what Tuply, the name, the moniker is, is, is about, is the sense that I'm here to be in conversation with the works that I'm talking about and, and in conversation with you. And so I'd love to dialogue with you, whoever you are, um, you know, wherever, however you're listening. Um, and, uh, so like I said, I'm going to probably take a few days hiatus because I just need to refocus a little bit on my dissertation, but I'll be back at it. Um, I would say at the latest a week from now, um, but probably sooner. Uh, but today, like I said, I'm talking about contemporary comic storytelling and Karen Kakonin released this book. Um, sorry, I should say university of Nebraska press released this book in 2013. And, um, 
it was accompanied by a, a textbook that that um, that Kokonen wrote about studying comics and graphic novels. Uh, I haven't looked at that textbook, but I've read some reviews of it, and my sense is that the the book that we're talking about today, Contemporary Comic Storytelling, is the example of her academic, intellectual, sort of researcher person uh, doing the work of um, showing how this kind of comics analysis that she's introducing, which is steeped in the work of cognitive linguistics and cognitive science, um, this this work that she's doing is, um, you know, uh, is an approach that the other book is a sort of practical handbook for how a reader might um, study comics with this approach. I, I'm really interested now in reading that um, that textbook. I think it's again. I think it's called "Studying Comics and Graphic Novels." Um, if I could get a copy of it, if I get my hands on a copy. Um, but uh, what I'll, I'll primarily be talking about the first chapter. Um, there's a there's an introduction, but I think most of the substance of this book is in the first chapter, and then it's played out in the second, third chapters. As what Kakonin does is she takes um, three different comic works fables tom strong and 100 bullets as case studies for some of the points that she wants to make as far as how comics and and graphic novels uh how the the medium can be studied in uh with the approach that she brings to bear on um on comic studies now i should go ahead and describe that approach um but before i do i just want to say that if you have been listening to the podcast and you're not an academic i don't mean to intimidate you or to um pull a smarty pants card by talking about these works of scholarship or um or even by talking about you know sort of your monthly issue of a comic that you pick up at the shop in a way that um is really meant to like throw around some kind of intellectual weight or heft um I'm, I'm really not trying to be posturing. Uh, I'm a teacher. I think that's who I am at my heart. Um, I study education. That's my field. And um, for me, in education, really all of the um, research that I read and all the theory that I study, it really um, boils down to me to the criteria of does this matter to people? Does this matter to like the young people, um, the, the diverse teenagers that I actually uh, believe are my calling and my purpose in life. And so um, I don't mean to be off-putting or intimidating in the way that I talk. I hope to make some of this stuff approachable and talk about why it's meaningful. But I, you know, I'm certainly not going to um, be able to change the fact of, of being a teacher and, and being um, curious and wanting to do analysis. And so if that's why you're here, because you're hungry to think deeply, um, I hope that this is this serves you. I hope that um, this will bring some of the insights of comics researchers and scholars to, you know, uh, people who be they, um, you know, graduate students like myself or um, professors uh, or be they just sort of regular Joes or Janes who are reading comics. Um, I hope this is enlightening. Um, and, and part of the reason I, I want to preface that way is because to me that is also a bit of an insight on the perspective of, um, of Kokonen. To give you a little bit of background, I, I, I should say reading the book without any kind of, um, I guess, academic background, either in uh, in literary studies of some kind or in um, linguistics or, you know, probably most pertinent cognitive science. Um, it's going to be a little off-putting, uh, this book, I think, because it's really very much dealing in the language of those realms. Uh, what Kokonen is trying to do is she's trying to um, apply 
a relatively new subdiscipline or field or approach um, within research, within academia, in conceiving of um, of the human mind, of communication, of language, of cognition or thinking. He's trying to apply the insights of a f- of that field um, to reading and specifically reading comics. So there's been a lot of work in cognitive science to establish that as a discipline. Uh, there's been a lot of um, work about um, cognitive science as applied to language and reading. Uh, and now she's taking that body of work and applying it, you know, and, and sort of combining it with um, literary studies or studies of reading and think, or studies of literacy and then connecting that in, into comics reading. Um, it is a different approach because, I, you know, partly because cognitive science is so young a field. Um, and, and, and just my own background with it to try to, again, set up and shed some light on what this book is trying to say. And then at the end, I'll definitely get to how this might apply to just the everyday comics reader. Uh, I am a, a graduate student at Berkeley and uh, did my undergraduate there as well. And I was an English major. And so I studied literature and, and um, loved it, studied language. Um, I, I'm not the kind of person who thinks that there is like, you know, you must read this or you're not cultured or your, your grammar must uh, operate this way or, or you're not uh, smart. That's uh, really not the case. <laughs> That's not the way I think. Um, but um, anyway, I think one of the things that um, I, I came to learn as a Berkeley not, uh, English major at first and then uh, really an education student, I'm, I'm an English teacher and I studied um, language and literacy and a bit of linguistics. Um, what I came to kind of understand from being around Berkeley is that uh, language and and literacy are practices that we carry on in everyday life. They're infused all through our sort of our cultural existence from, you know, very early ages. Uh, and, and it's also part of the fabric of our culture and society. Um, how do you look at and how do you study? How do you think about what it means for you to read? How do you think about how you know how to read? Um, how do you think about how you know how to put together a sentence? Uh, my, my daughter is five, and one of the funnest things in my life has been watching her language development. Just seeing when she was just, a, you know, a very young age, the sort of like, uh, sometimes, you know, these like genius, prodigious sentences, you know, prodigious in the sense of being super long, but also in terms of being like coming out of a prodigy. And sometimes these monstrosities of grammatical construction that I was just like, where did that come from? Um, but also just knowing her well enough that I could trace where it all came from. I could trace the little bits of language she was hear- hearing here and there. I could tell that she was saying a version of a phrase that her grandma would say a lot or my, or my wife, her mother would say a lot. And I could just see her piecing together language. And really, that miraculous thing of a kid, you know, not even knowing yet how to um, go potty in the potty, was already putting together these complex and highly original grammatical constructions. Now, that fact, the fact that kids can do that uh, at such a young age, the fact that we can do that, the fact that no matter how, quote-unquote, educated you are or how, how you know, you're supposedly your, you know, vocabulary, your, your lexicon is, is high or low, it doesn't really matter. All of us, you know, all of us, really, uh, have this incredible capacity for language structures that are quite 
complex, more complex than we realize. And when we stop and reflect on it, and when we actually think about what we're able to say and what we're able to put together at such a young age, um, you could almost say that it's you know it's inbuilt. It seems to be hardwired into our brains to be able to. Uh, to be able to communicate, to be able to put together grammars. Um, when our brains can't have, handle that high level of complexity, it seems as though we are able to handle the complexity of language. Uh, at least that mystery is what uh, was one of the fundamental insights of linguists, uh, especially in North America, in the mid part of this, the last century, um, especially under, you know, sort of the revolutionary linguistic analysis of somebody named Noam Chomsky. And Chomsky is kind of an important figure in um, what we're talking about today, um, as is another person, the French um, theorist and sort of the founder of linguistics, uh, Ferdinand de Saussure, because uh, Saussure is mentioned and, and referenced you know, everywhere in linguistics, but also in a lot of other fields, including anthropology and, and, and uh, anywhere you talk, you hear people talk about signifiers and signified um, semiotics, the entire sort of field of semiotics can almost trace its origin, you know, to, to, to Saussure. Um, but both Saussure and Chomsky, hugely influential in linguistics, in taking something that we thought of as very everyday, like the act of picking up a comic book and reading it and understanding it, or putting together a sentence, things that we thought were quite everyday and really revealing the systematic, you know, um, sort of complex structures underneath that, that make it pretty amazing that we can do that as human beings. Um, the ways that Saussure and uh, Chomsky articulated the facts of language and the ways that we, um, wh you know, what it means for us to use language or for us to use symbols, uh, for us to speak and to read and, of course, to create and write and to, and to listen and understand each other. Um, those were landmark. Uh, and and I, I really won't bore you with the details of them here. Um, I just say that intellectually, it's hyper, super stimulating. But one of the effects of, um, you know, the everything after Saussure 100 years ago and everything after Chomsky 50, 60 years ago is that uh, the way that people understood um, language and communication and uh, as well as if you take language and you sort of writ large beyond words to think about everything from gestures and symbolism to, um, to, you know, systems of symbols or systems of language that you might think of as like, you know, signs, artwork, culture, broadly, you know, everything from, <coughs> excuse me, from rituals to uh, daily habits to <coughs> ways that we communicate with one another non-verbally. Um, if you study the complexity of those objects and how they work, um, it can be pretty overwhelming. It can be pretty amazing to consider what, um, what is involved in language and communication, uh, what is involved in um, cultural production and in artwork. Uh, however, what starts to become, you know, the feeling is that you start to feel as though something that we take for granted as very, very basic is actually 
complex beyond our ability to fathom or grasp it. In other words, sometimes the ways that um, linguists analyzed and studied language was uh, either so far removed from what a normal person does or seemed to be explained by things that it's hard to really measure whether a normal person has it, um, that, uh, you know, you talk to a linguist and you say, what do you study in linguistics? Do you study different languages? Mm, not really. Uh, <laughs> maybe you do, um, but but many of them don't, you know? Or you ask a linguist, "What? why does what you study have something to do with uh, computer sciences and the way that computers think and uh, they'll start explaining it to you and then you'll need to go get a hamburger because you've uh, run out of steam <laughs> it just becomes very unwieldy um, and I think so, and so those are things that I learned in Berkeley uh, not just that it was unwieldy but learned about Saussure and learned about um, the arbitrariness of signs and so forth and uh, and also learned about you know um, generative uh, uh, grammar and sort of Chomsky's analysis of what exactly is going on in the deep structures of language. <laughs> um, it, it's all pretty amazing and breathtaking uh, and you know super nerdy. Uh, <laughs> and um, and then. In, in Berkeley and other places, um, starting around the 70s, uh, thanks to people like George Lakoff, who is a uh, well-known linguist from, from Berkeley, um, a, a sort of rebel pack of thinkers in linguistics who hooked up with people who studied in neuroscience and the brain, uh, started to propose that maybe some of the ways that we thought about language and thinking in, and the mind um, Yes, there was a lot of insight from the last hundred years of theory and the last thousand years of philosophy, but that some of the um, ways that our minds work uh, are actually fairly um, simple is not the right word because they, you know, they can they can take quite a lot of pretty amazing analysis, but they're not so out of reach. They're not so unexplainable that we have to rely on some sort of theoretical magic going on in our magical minds. That actually there's a few things that our brains seem evolved or tuned to do that help to explain the other things. For instance, what I was talking about before, my daughter learning language. Um, it seemed miraculous, almost as if she had a grammar muscle in her brain that would allow her to be able to just figure out and piece together what the heck we were saying and all these endless combinations and what works and what doesn't work as language. It would seem to be miraculous. But the other thing that ha she had going for her, uh, besides all these fragments of language data that her brain somehow processed, was the fact of our faces, was the fact that she could look at our faces and as a baby study them intently, which is something that our baby brains have, you know, learned, evolved, developed to do, and to have a pretty sharp sense of what our feelings are, what our emotions are, what our intentions are, and that a very, at a very early point, uh, my daughter started to be able to tell 
if I was trying to show her something or if I felt sad about something or if I was excited about something or if I was talking to her in a way that I was trying to order her to do something or maybe to gently suggest something like sleeping, like please fall asleep finally. <laughs> and it's that ability of babies to um, to read uh, their you know, caregivers' faces, and to combine that with the meaningfulness of speech as a tool, as a as a um, as a fu- as a functional um, symbol, uh, is it it makes sense that babies and the pattern pattern noticings that they can do would eventually construct the ability to use language. All right, now how the heck does this relate to to comics? Um, one of the things Kakonan is doing is that in contemporary comic storytelling, she is trying to take the insights of these cognitive um, cognitive linguists, you know, um, basically uh, folks who throw around the label cognitive comfortably to talk about themselves. And uh, she, what she's trying to suggest is that some of the theoretical approaches to reading comics, especially ones that were based on uh, maybe... Uh, older school saussure based um, versions of semiotics um, they kind of presumed or or you know operated on the idea that there is something uh, based in signs and the sort of arbitrariness of signs that sort of um, very you know deeply embedded in in culture and and uh, you know not necessarily anything that you could break down in the brain as like logical, right? That's not brain logic that makes us understand that you go from left to right when you read comics or that a word balloon means that there are words that are spoken by a person that we can't hear because it's a picture on a page, you know? Those are a bunch of um, arbitrary signs or the fact that when you read a page of comics, a splash page in a comic book, you know, you just know that's supposed to mean like action or importance or significance you know um that is uh from one perspective maybe from a more semiotic perspective a kind of um symbol a kind of code um that you know we come to understand and read uh and what kokonen suggests and maybe what the cognitive account suggests is that instead of thinking about everything as codes meaning some sort of like secret key that if you learn the code then you can finally figure out there's act there they are actually you know things like what i just mentioned a, a speech uh, a speech balloon um, a splash page a um a certain uh expression or gesture that a character is making on a page those are not codes they're they're clues from which our minds can make inferences and the inferences that our minds make um, are part of feed into um, these mental models mental models that we are constantly adjusting based on the information that we see from the text and that information from the text is always trying to um, uh, inform influence and shape um, you know the way that our reading and our understanding happen now all that seems what I just said probably uh, maybe sounds fairly logical you know our brains make sense of text the tech we make sense of the texts by making inferences from the clues of what's there on the page and the fact that that sounds fairly obvious maybe is what makes somebody miss the significance of Kokonan's work because basically what um, 
what Kokonen is arguing is that you can um, look at a text, you can analyze it for the kind of schema that it's um, it's drawing upon or utilizing. In other words, when you look at a cup, you know that's a cup because there it is on a table <laughs> and it has steam coming out of it and somebody is holding it up to their mouth. Therefore, that's a cup, you know. Uh, that schema helps us to understand uh, what that little symbol on the page is supposed to be. And then we start to build a mental model of a story world. Okay, this person is sitting at a desk. There's a cup in his hand. And... Um, and he has, um, and, and there's blinds, and the light coming through the blinds um, is very uh, black and white and casts these long shadows. He's wearing a fedora. He uh, uh, puts his feet on the desk. He looks somewhat disheveled. And then a woman uh, who uh, looks both um, dangerous <laughs> for some reason and, uh, and also uh, attractive appears at her door. Okay, suddenly our minds are sort of, because of the other texts that we have read, um, uh, Kokonen refers to this as the intertextuality uh, aspect, and then because of the world that's created by the schema that's been called up, uh, our, our minds start creating what, what's, um, you know, some uh, reading experts call a situation model. In my head, based on the text base, based on all this evidence that I see from the text, I start creating a situation model in my head, and I start to get, okay, where this is a detective, this is a private eye story, right? And then from there, the story confirms or de or you know disconfirms all the things that I assume about this story world based on that um, schemata that's been. Uh, uh, you know, that sort of arrangement of prior information that's been called forth. And then maybe the surprise is that the woman comes in and in fact she's the detective and he is a uh, IRS agent or whatever. <laughs> um, all of this is basically to ex try to explain what could be going on in the minds of readers uh, and the ways that comics as texts make use of what might go on in the minds of readers. Um, in order to uh, communicate the way that they do, in order to create uh, a story, and in order to not only create a story, but to, to create the kind of imagined world and the experience of reading that we experience. Okay, again, <laughs> all that may sound fairly obvious, our brains read. Um, but what um, I think what's significant about this work is that uh, there's been a lot of, uh, of really good stuff that has written that's been written that uh, has applied some theories about um, signs and about symbols and about um, about texts to comics and they're important work that I hope I can actually touch on in the future but sometimes what they do is they create the sense that all of this is happening with the text or maybe with this text and another text and they leave out or they um, maybe almost exclude the idea that a brain, a mind, has a kind of um, agency, let's say, or a kind of ability to try to make sense of that, of that um, complex of, of stuff. Um, and yet, when we read comics, that's what we do. I mean, that's what my you know, three-year-old daughter did. She'd picked up a whole bunch of language, 
uh, a lot of it from staring at our faces and having experiences and figuring out patterns. And some of that language actually held, uh, you know, held her, uh, held her so much, compelled her so much, shaped the way that she saw and understood the world so much that, that, you know, uh, a lot of that was carried over into our experience of reading together. So we read children's books, we read those board books, but, you know, pretty early on, we also started reading Peanuts together. And so that was the other awesome, fascinating thing, is to watch my kid become the avid comics reader that she's become. And uh, and so some of the, those taken-for-granted things that we were talking about earlier as codes... Um, they actually have been part of her developing conception of how information is organized, how the world is, how people interact with each other. She's learned as much from watching interactions of comic book characters on the page of reading, from reading Raina Telgemeier and reading the expressions on their faces as they talk to each other as she has from being in preschool and interacting with her friends. Maybe that's overstating a little bit to say that she's learned as much, but it seems that um, the influence is pretty significant. And, um, you know, all that, I think, points us to what um, Conan's perspective, really the, the cognitivist perspective of, of reading comics, of analyzing comics, allows us to do, which is to try to break down and to understand how the text um, as a text base with all kinds of meaning potential interacts with the um, the experience, the background, the knowledge of the reader, trains the reader to read, yes, but also um, uh, the reader has capabilities, you know, the human brain has these um, things that it can do that make it so that we make meaning out of what we read. All right, that's my version <laughs> in half an hour of summing up what um, what Karen Kakonin's uh, uh, contemporary comic storytelling um, says. Uh, was that useful? Was that interesting? Was that important? Um, or is this only still playing because you're too lazy to go and switch to a more interesting podcast? <laughs> it's fine. I'm not offended. Um, I guess let me say this. I'm, I, I, my reaction to this work, so I've talked about the background of me being at Berkeley and sort of being in the water, so to speak, of um, all of this um, cognitive science and, and cognitive linguistics and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think at the end of the day, I'm actually still not uh, myself uh, working within this orientation as a, as a researcher, as a scholar. And the reason is because I think that explaining how our minds make sense of things is powerful and persuasive. In fact, George Lakoff, who I mentioned earlier, has um, not only you know figured out a whole bunch of stuff about language and about the mind, but he also is a commentator about politics. Um, he was um, pretty important uh, in you know a few election cycles ago in in bringing into our common vocabulary this idea of frames or frames of thinking you know it wasn't original to him he was really just kind of borrowing from stuff that was in his field um, but he really brought that to bear to politics and the ways that when you say certain things uh, it's it, you know certain phrases or certain words or you make reference to certain things it's almost like a dog whistle you know uh you know your liberals are going to hear this thing because they're think not, not just because they think the word means something but because they're thinking from a certain frame 
And in that frame, there's a certain narrative, and that word calls forth that certain narrative. Likewise, when you when you talk to a bunch of people who are conservatives, you know, they have certain narratives, and you know, you know, you're you're framing a certain situation or reality by attaching certain ideas, certain labels, certain words to it, and that feeds into a certain narrative. And so, my point is that um, Lakoff has found ways that. Um, uh, his understanding of, of our minds um, have practical bearing on um, on our politics. And I think uh, what what Kokonen is introducing is, uh, and, and this co- goes back to her also writing a book about, um, well, you know, I've assumed this whole time that Karen Kokonen is a woman. I apologize if I have that wrong. In fact, I'm, you can probably hear my keyboard. I'm looking it up now. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. Um, it could be Corinne. It could be a a, a man. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I think it's a woman. <laughs> um, all right. So um, St. John's College, Oxford. Uh, apologize for that. Um, I I, th- I think that what uh, Kakonin is doing is introducing a framework for thinking about how we think about comics, how we understand comics, how we read comics that opens up spaces for us to be able to analyze the ways that our minds work as we read to make sense of comics. And what potential does that have for us as everyday readers or maybe creators or potential creators? Well, it means that, to me, it means that what um, Scott McCloud launched as a project in understanding comics, you know, all those years ago, that book that has, you know, been read by every single you know, serious comics fan and, and non, non-comics fan who has sat through a class where they've been forced to read that book. Um, although it's so fun to read, uh, I, I forced to is, is probably too harsh. Uh, what that, what possibilities McLeod introduced, um, in terms of thinking about comics formally, but not in a way that's just like, Oh, here's what, um, you know, here's what it here's what it is on the page, but also thinking about how we make sense of it in our you know through our eyes and in our minds. McCloud um, talks about closure between the panels, how we can in our minds, in you know, infer what's going on in the panels and sort of close the gap between them. Uh, Kokonen actually says that uh, you know touches on that idea, says it's crucial for um, what this book is about, um, but doesn't love the word closure because closure kind of assumes a kind of finality. But actually when we're interpreting, we are closing the gap between panels, yes, but we're also only building into a model in our heads that is only going to be confirmed or refuted later and with more information as we process it. Um, Anyway, I think what this book tells us is, or shows us is that it's... um, valid to continue thinking about um, thinking and thinking about what's going on in our minds as comics readers when we think uh, that it's valid to, to, to continue exploring that. Um, and people have, and it's, it's fascinating. Uh, I do even recommend, I do especially recommend uh, looking at her readings in the further chapters of those titles I talked about before, Tom Strong and 100 Bullets and Fables, because I think she shows some of the fruitfulness of that kind, this kind of analysis. Um, but I will say that I think where I stand, um, I think uh, maybe my, my 
point of departure is that sometimes um, cognitive scientists or cognitive perspectives um, boil everything down to what the brain interprets and how the brain can make sense of uh, you know what's there on the page and sometimes what's um, left out or neglected is a, the 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 a concrete idea of who that brain is and why that brain has that schemata um, for to me actually uh, thinking about the brain and how it works is not does not uh, actually uh, discount the importance of culture and I don't think many cognitivists many cognitive scientists would think that it does in fact many of them point out the importance of culture but they tend to think about culture as a um, like culture big C culture as a, a thing that plays a role in this you know you know in this um, formula in this uh, mixture of stuff that's going on in the brain but um, I think when we talk about things as codes when we have this idea of signs being um, somewhat uh, conventional meaning that they're a matter of culture and history and located with certain groups of people and maybe not located with other groups of people um, that to me plays a larger role than I think sometimes these analyses pause to recognize um, that even when you are building from a, um, a schemata that exists that that organization of ideas in your head that organization of relationships in your head comes from somewhere that is very culturally formed and culturally bound um, why does that matter? Well, it, it means that when Scott McCloud, for instance, talks about this is how comics work, it's worth questioning whether it always works that way for all people. And worth questioning what, um, what it means when it works for some people and not for others. Worth questioning uh, how it comes to be that it works that way. And some of that is because of things that are as simple as the way that our brains work because of the fact of the, the that our brains belong in our heads and attached to our bodies but some of it is not some of it is very um very contingent on where we grew up and who we hang around and because it's contingent on those things it's also highly related to our relationships and our dynamics with one another and and because of that it's also related to issues of power and issues of um, of inclusion and issues of uh, uh, participation and issues of um, what is what is true and uh, and and who is good um, ethics in other words and some of that is left out uh, at times of the of the account that's sort of cognitively centered um, okay hmm did I succeed in what I set out to do at the beginning of this now that I approach 10 minutes past my time? Uh, maybe not. I'm almost hesitant to release this one into the world. Maybe it is. This is a sign that it is time for me to take a hiatus and to take a break. Um, I apologize if this wasn't you know, what you were looking for when you came to this podcast. Hey, send me some feedback. Let me know. Um, but uh, I'm just going to continue endeavoring on these um, Sunday scholarships to make some of the comic stuff um, that's out there in comic studies, well, to make it make sense, 
maybe I didn't do a great job this time. Uh, maybe I did. Maybe you liked it. Um, next time, I think I'm going to try to approach something that's actually historical. I'm thinking about reading uh, one of those biographies of Jack Kirby that's out there and, uh, and taking a look at that. That's up for consideration. Um, anyway, whether I do or I don't, I hope that you will join me next time and um, send me some feedback. Let me know that you're with me um, even as I take a break. And um, please keep reading. All right.